Chapter fifty seven of The Wanderer or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter fifty seven. An answer so little expected, from one whose dependent state had been so frequently discussed, caused a general surprise and an almost universal demand of who the young person might be, and what she could mean. The few words that had dropped from her had as many commentators as hearers. Some thought their inference important, others their mystery suspicious, and others mocked their assumption of dignity. Tears started into the eyes of Lady Barbara, while those of Sir Jasper were fixed, meditatively, upon the head of his crutch. But the complacent smile of admiration, exhibited by Mr. Giles, attracted the notice of the whole assembly, by the peals of laughter which it excited in the Miss Crawleys. With rage difficultly disguised without, but wholly ungovernable within, Mrs. Ireton would instantly have revenged what she considered as the most heinous affront that she had ever received, by expelling its author ignominiously from her house. But for the still sharpened curiosity with which her pretensions to penetration became picked, from the general cry of, "'How very extraordinary that Mrs. Ireton has never been able to discover who she is!' When Juliet, therefore, conceiving her removal from this mansion to be as inevitable as her release from its tyranny was desirable, made known, as soon as the company was dispersed, that she was ready to depart. She was surprised by a request, from Mrs. Ireton, to stay a day or two longer, for the purpose of taking care of Mr. Laudard the following morning, as Mrs. Ireton, who had no one with whom she could trust such a charge, had engaged herself to join a party to see Arundel Castle. Little as Juliet felt disposed to renew her melancholy wanderings, her situation in this house appeared to her so humiliating, nay degrading, that neither this message, nor the fawning civilities with which, at their next meeting, Mrs. Ireton sought to mitigate her late asperity, could prevail with her to consent to any delay beyond that which was necessary for obtaining the counsel of Gabriella, to whom she wrote a detailed account of what had passed, adding, "'How long must I thus waste my time and my existence, separated from all that can render them valuable, while fastened upon by constant discomfort and disgust? O oh, friend of my heart, friend of my earliest years, earliest feelings!' juvenile happiness, and, alas, mature sorrows. Why must we thus be sundered in adversity? Oh, how, with threefold toil, should I revive by the side of my beloved Gabriella, dear to me by every tie of tender recollection, dear to me by the truest compassion for her sufferings, and reverence for her resignation, and dear to me, thrice dear, by the sacred ties of gratitude, which bind me for ever to her honoured mother, and to her venerated, saint-like uncle, my pious benefactor. She then tenderly proposed their immediate reunion, at whatever cost of fatigue or risk it might be obtained, 
and besought Gabriella to seek some small room, and to inquire for some needlework, determining to appropriate to a journey to town the little sum which she might have to receive for the long and laborious fortnight which she had consigned to the terrible enterprise of aiming at amusing, serving, or interesting, one whose sole taste of pleasure consisted in seeking, like strife, in Spencer's fairy queen, occasion for dissension. With the apprehension, however, of losing, the desire of retaining her always revived, and now, as usual, proved some check to the recreations of spleen, in which Mrs. Ireton ordinarily indulged herself. Yet, even in the midst of intended concession, the love of tormenting was so predominant, that, had the resolution of Juliet still wavered, whether to seek some new retreat, or still to support her present irksome situation, all indecision would have ceased from fresh disgust, at the sneers which insidiously found their way through every effort at civility. What had dropped from Mr. Giles' arb, relative to the bank-notes, had excited curiosity in all, tinted, in some, with suspicion, and, in Mrs. Ireton, blended with malignity and wrath, that a creature whom she pleased herself to consider, and yet more to represent, as dependent upon her bounty for sustenance, should have any resources of her own. Nor was this displeasure wholly free from surmises the most disgraceful, though to those she forbore to give vent, conscious that to suggest them would stamp with impropriety all further intercourse with their object. And a moment that offered new food for inquisition was the last to induce Mrs. Ireton to relinquish her protégé. She confined her sarcasms, therefore, when she could not wholly repress them, to oblique remarks upon the happiness of those who were able to lay by private stores for secret purposes, lamenting that such was not her fate, yet congratulating herself that she might now sleep in peace with respect to any creditors, since, should she be threatened with an execution, her house had a rich inmate, by whom she flattered herself that she should be assisted to give bail. Already the next morning, her resolution with regard to her nephew was reversed, and, the child desiring the change of scene, she gave directions that Miss Ellis should prepare herself to take him in charge during the excursion. But Juliet was now initiated in the services and the endurance of an humble companion in public. She offered, therefore, to amuse and to watch him at home, but decidedly refused to attend him abroad, and her evident indifference whether to stay or begone herself forced Mrs. Ireton to deny the humoured boy his intended frolic. Little accustomed to any privation, and totally unused to disappointment, the young gentleman, when his aunt was preparing to depart, had recourse to his usual appeals against restraint or authority, clamorous cries and unappeasable blubbering. Juliet, to whose room he refused to mount, was called upon to endeavour to quiet him, and to entice him into the garden, that he might not hear the carriage of his aunt draw up to the door. But this commission the refractory spirit of the young heir made it impossible to execute, till he overheard a whisper to Juliet that she would take care, should Mr. Lauder choose to go to the temple, 
to place the silkworms above his reach. Suddenly, then, he sprang from his consolers and attendants to run forward to the forbidden fruit, and with a celerity that made it difficult for Juliet, even with the utmost speed and longer limbs, to arrive at the spot in time to prevent the mischief for which she saw him preparing. She had just, however, succeeded in depositing the menaced insects upon a high bracket, when a footman came to whisper to her the commands of his lady, that she would detain Mr. Lauderd till the party should be set off. Before the man had shut himself out, Ireton, holding up his finger to him in token of secrecy, slipped past him into the little building, and, having turned the key on the inside, and put it into his pocket, said, "'I'll stand sentinel for a little pickle,' and flung himself loungingly upon an armchair. Confounded by this action, yet feeling it necessary to appear unintimidated, Juliet affected to occupy herself with the silkworms, of which the young gentleman now, eager to romp with Ireton, thought no more. "'At last, then, I have caught you, my skittish dear,' cried Ireton, while jumping about the little boy, to keep him in good humour. "'I have had the devil of a difficulty to contrive it.' However, I shall make myself amends now, for they are all going to Arundel Castle, and you and I can pass the morning together. The indignant look which this boldness excited, he pretended not to observe, and went on. I can't possibly be easy without having a little private chat with you. I must consult you about my affairs. I want devilishly to make you my friend. You might be capitally useful to me, and you would find your account in it, I promise you. What says thee, my pretty one? Juliet, not appearing to hear him, changed the leaves of the silkworms. Can you guess what it is brings me hither to old madam, my mother's? It is not you with all your beauty, you arch prude, though I have a great enjoyment in looking at you and your blushes, which are devilishly handsome, I own. Yet, to say the truth, you are not, altogether, I don't know how it is, but you are not, upon the whole, quite exactly to my taste. Don't take it ill, my love, for you are a devilish fine girl. I own that. But I want something more skittish, more wild, more eccentric. If I were to fix my fancy upon such symmetry as you, I should be put out of my way every moment. I should always be thinking I had some Minerva tutoring, or some Juno awing me. It would not do at all. I want something of another cast, something that will urge me when I am hippish, without keeping me in order when I am whimsical, something frisky, flighty, fantastic, yet panting, blushing, dying with love for me. Neither contempt nor indignation were of sufficient force to preserve the gravity of Juliet at this unexpected ingenuousness of vanity. "'You smile!' he cried, but if you knew what a deuce difficult thing it is, for a man who has got a little money to please himself, you would find it a very serious affair. How the deuce can he be sure whether a woman, when once he has married her, would not, if her settlement be to her liking, dance at his funeral? The very thought of that would either carry me off in a fright within a month, or make me want to live forever, merely to punish her. It's a hard thing having money, a deuced hard thing. One does not know who to trust. A poor man may find a wife in a moment, for if he sees any one that likes him, he knows it is for himself. But a rich man, as Sir Jaspar says, 
can never be sure whether the woman who marries him would not, for the same pin-money, just as willingly follow him to the outside of the church as to the inside. At the name of Sir Jasper, Juliet involuntarily gave some attention, though she would make no reply. From the time, continued Ireton, that I heard him pronounce those words, I have never been able to satisfy myself, nor to find out what would satisfy me, at least not till lately. And now I know what I want. The difficulty of the business is to get it. And this is what I wish to consult with you about, for you must know, my dear, I can never be happy without being adored. Juliet now was surprised into suddenly looking at him, to see whether he were serious. Yes, adored, love to distraction, I must be idolized for myself, myself alone, yet publicly worshipped, that all mankind may see, and envy, the passion I have been able to inspire. Suspecting that he meant some satire upon Eleanor, Juliet again fixed her eyes upon her silkworms. So you don't ask me what it is that makes me so devilish dutiful all of a sudden in visiting my mamma. You think, perhaps, I have some debts to pay. No, I have no taste for gaming. It's the cursedest, fatiguing thing in the world. If one don't mind what one's about, one is blown up in a moment, and to be always upon one's guard is worse than ruin itself. So I am upon no coaxing expedition, I give you my word. What do you think it is, then, that brings me hither? Cannot you guess? Hey? Why? It is to arrange something, somehow or other, for getting myself from under this terrible yoke that seems upon the point of enslaving me. My neck feels galled by it already. I have naturally no taste for matrimony, and now that the business seems to be drawing to a point, and I am called upon to name my lawyer, and cavalled with to declare to my utmost sixpence what I will do, and what I will give, to make my wife merry and comfortable upon my going out of the world, I protest I shudder with horror. I think there is nothing upon earth so mercenary as a young nymph upon the point of becoming a bride. Except, Juliet here could not resist saying, except the man, young or old, who is her bridegroom. Oh, that's another thing, quite another thing. A man must needs take care of his house and his table and all that. But the hardest thing I know is the condition tied to a man's obtaining the hand of a young woman. He can never solicit it but by giving her a prospect of his deathbed, and she never consents to live with him till she knows what she may gain by his dying. Tis the most shocking style of making love that can be imagined. I don't like it, I swear. What now would you advise me to do? I? Yes, you know the scrape I'm in, don't you? Sir Jasper's estate, in case he should have no children, is entailed upon me, and, in case I should have none neither, is entailed upon a cousin, the heaviest dog you ever saw in your life, whom he hates and despises, and whom I wish at old Nick with all my heart, because I know he and all his family will wish me at the devil myself if I marry, and, if I have children, will wish them and my wife there. I hate them all so heartily, that whenever I think of them— I am ready, in pure spite, to be tied to the first girl that comes in my way. But when I think of myself, I am taken with a fit of fright, and in a plaguy hurry to cut the knot off short, and this is the way I have got the character of a male jilt. But I don't deserve it, I assure you, 
for of all the females with whom I have had these little engagements, there is not one whom I have seriously thought of marrying after the first half-hour. They none of them hit my fancy further than to kill little time. The countenance of Juliet, though she neither deigned to speak nor to turn to him, marked such strong disapprobation that he thought proper to add, "'Don't be affronted for little Selina Jodrell. I really meant to marry her at the time, and I should really have gone on, and buckled too, if the thing had been any way possible. But she turns out such a confounded little fool that I can't think of her any longer.' "'And was it necessary?' Juliet could not refrain from saying. "'To engage her first, and examine whether she could make you happy afterwards?' "'Why, that seems a little awkward, I confess. But it's a way I have adopted. Though I took the decision I own, rather in a hurry, with regard to little Selina, for it was merely to free myself from the reproaches of Sir Jasper.' who, because he is seventy-five, and does not know what to do with himself, is always regretting that he did not take a wife when he was a stripling, and always at work to get me into the yoke. But the truth is, I promised when I went abroad to bring him home a niece from France or Italy, unless I went further east, and then I would look him out a fair Circassian. Now, as he has a great taste for anything out of the common way, and retains a constant hankering after beauty, he was delighted with the scheme." but I saw nothing that would do, nothing I could take to. The pretty ones were all too buckish, and the steady ones a set of the yellowest frights I ever beheld. Alas for the poor ladies! Oh, you are a mocker, are you? So to lighten the disappointment to Sir Jasper, I hit upon the expedient of taking up with little Selina, who was the first young thing that fell in my way, and I was too tired to be difficult. Besides, what made her the more convenient was her extreme youth, which gave me a year to look about me, and see if I could do any better. But she's a poor creature, a sad poor creature indeed, quite too bad, so I must make an end of the business as fast as possible. Besides, another thing that puts me in a hurry is, the very devil would have it so, but I have fallen in love with her sister. Juliet, at a loss how to understand him now raised her eyes, and, not without astonishment, perceived that he was speaking with a grave face. "'Oh, that noble stroke! That inimitable girl! Happy, happy Harley! That fellow fascinates the girl the more, the less the notice he takes of them. I take but little notice of them neither, but somehow or other they never do that sort of thing for me.' If I could meet with one who would take such a measure for my sake, and before such an assembly, I really think I should worship her. Then, lowering his voice, You may be amazingly useful to me, my angel, he cried, in this new affair. I know you are very well with Harley, though I don't know exactly how. But if, nay hear me before you look so proud, if you'll help me a little how to go to work with the divine Eleanor, I'll bind myself down to make over to you, in case of success, mark that, as round a sum as you may be pleased to name. The disdain of Juliet at this proposition was so powerful that, though she heard it as the deepest of insults, indignation was but a secondary feeling, and a look of utter scorn with the determined silence to whatever else he might say, was the only notice it received. He continued, nevertheless, to address her, demanding her advice how to manage Harley, 
and her assistance how to conquer Elinor, with an air of as much intimacy and confidence, as if he received the most cordial replies. He purposed, he said, unless she could counsel him to something better, making an immediate overture to Elinor, by which means, whether he should obtain or not, the only girl in the world who knew how to love, and what love meant, he should at least, in a very summary way, get rid of the little Selina. Juliet knew too well the slightness of the texture of the regard of Selina for Ireton to be really hurt at this defection. Yet she was not less offended at being selected for the confidant of so dishonourable a proceeding, nor less disgusted at the unfeeling insolence by which it was dictated. An attempt at opening the door at length silenced him, while the voice of Mrs. Ireton's woman called out, "'Goodness, Miss Ellis, what do you lock yourself in for? My lady has sent me to you.' Juliet cast up her eyes, foreseeing the many disagreeable attacks and surmises to which she was made liable by this incident, yet immediately said aloud, "'Since you have thought proper, Mr. Ireton, to lock the door for your own pleasure, you will, at least, I imagine, think proper to open it for that of Mrs. Ireton.' "'Deuce take me if I do.' cried he, in a low voice, manage the matter as you will. I have naturally no taste for a prude, so I always leave her to work her way out of a scrape as well as she can. But I'll see you again when they are all off. Then throwing the key upon her lap, he softly and laughingly escaped out of the window. Provoked and vexed, yet helpless and without any means of redress, Juliet opened the door. Goodness, Miss Ellis! cried the Abigail, peeping curiously around. How droll for you to shut yourself in! My lady sent me to ask whether you have seen anything of Mr. Ireton in the garden or about, for she has been ready to go for ever so long, and he said he was setting off first on horseback. But his groom is come and is waiting for orders, and none of us can tell where he is. Mr. Ireton, Juliet quietly answered, was here just now, and I doubt not but you will find him in the garden. "'Yes,' cried the boy. "'He slid out of the window.' "'Goodness! Was he in here, then, Master Laudard? "'Well, my lady'll be in a fine passion if she should hear of it.' This was enough to give the tidings a messenger. The boy darted forward and reached the house in a moment. The Abigail ran after him. Juliet, too, followed, dreading the impending storm, yet still more averse to remaining within the reach and power of Ireton and the knowledge that he would now, for the rest of the morning, be sole master of the house, filled her with such horror, of the wanton calumny to which his unprincipled egotism might expose her, that, rather than continue under the same roof with a character so unfeelingly audacious, she preferred risking all the mortifications to which she might be liable in the excursion to Arundel Castle. Advanced already into the hall, dragged thither by her turbulent little nephew, and the hope of detecting the hiding-place of Ireton, stood the patroness whom she now felt compelled to soothe into accepting her attendance. Not aware of this purposed concession, and nearly as much frightened as enraged, to find with whom her son had been shut up, Mrs. Ireton, in a tone equally querulous and picked, cried, I beg you a thousand pardons, ma'am, for the indiscretion of which I have been guilty in asking for the honour of your company to Arundel Castle this morning, 
I ought to make a million of apologies for supposing that a young lady for you are a lady, no doubt every body is a lady now of your extraordinary turn and talents, the insupportable insipidity of a tete-a-tete with a female, or the dull care of a bantling, when a splendid, flashy, rich, young-travelled gentleman, choosing also to remain behind, may be tired and want some amusement. T'was grossly stupid of me, I own, to expect such a sacrifice. You, who, besides these prodigious talents, that make us all appear like a set of vulgar, uneducated beings by your side, you, who revel also in the luxury of wealth, who wanton in the stores of Plutus, who are accustomed to the magnificence of unaccounted hordes, how must the whole detail of our existence appear penurious, pitiful to you? I am surprised how you can forbear falling into fits at the very sight of us. But I presume you reserve the brilliancy of an action of that éclat for objects better worth your while to dazzle by a stroke of that grand deception. I must have lost my senses, certainly, to so ill appreciate my own insignificance. I hope you'll pity me, that's all. I hope you'll have so much unction as to pity me. If, at the opening of this harangue, the patience of Juliet nearly yielded to resentment, its length gave power to reflection, which usually wants but time for checking impulse, to point out the many and nameless mischiefs, to which quitting the house under similar suspicions might give rise. She quietly, therefore, answered that though to herself it must precisely be the same thing, whether Mr. Ireton were at home or abroad, if that circumstance gave any choice to Mrs. Ireton, she would change her own plans, either to go or to stay, according to the directions which she might receive. A superiority to accusation or surmise, thus cooled and decided, no sooner relieved the apprehensions of Mrs. Ireton by its evident innocence, than it excited her wrath by its deliberate indifference, if not contempt. And she would now disdainfully have rejected the attendance which, the moment before, she had anxiously desired, had not the little master of the house, who had seized the opportunity of this harangue to make his escape, caught a glimpse of the carriage at the door, and put an end to all contest, by stunning all ears with an unremitting scream till he forced himself into it, when overpowering every obstacle, he obliged his aunt and Juliet to follow, while he issued his own orders to the postillion to drive to Arundel Castle. Even the terror of calumny, that most dangerous and baneful foe to unprotected woman, would scarcely have frightened Juliet into this expedition, had she been aware that, as soon as she was seated in the landau, with orders to take the whole charge of Mr. Lauderd, the little dog, also, would have been given to her management. "'Bijou will like to take the air,' cried Mrs. Ireton languidly, "'and he will serve to entertain Lauderd by the way. He can go very well on Miss Ellis's lap. Pretty little creature!' "'Twould be cruel to leave him at home alone.' This terrible humanity, which, in a hot day, in the middle of July, cast upon the knees of Juliet a fat, round, well-furred, and over-fed little animal, accustomed to snarl, scratch, stretch, and roll himself about at his pleasure, produced fatigue the most pitiless, and inconvenience the most comfortless. 
the little tyrant of the party, whose will was law to the company, found no diversion so much to his taste, during the short journey, as exciting the churlish humour of his fellow favourite, by pinching his ears, pulling his nose, filliping his claws, squeezing his throat, and twisting round his tail. And all these feats, far from incurring any reprimand, were laughed at and applauded. For whom did they incommode? No one but Miss Ellis. And for what else was Miss Ellis there? Yet this fatigue and disgust might have been passed over, as local evils, had they ceased with the journey, and had she then been at liberty to look at what remains of the venerable old castle, to visit its ancient chapel, to examine the genealogical records of the long gallery, to climb up to the antique citadel, and to enjoy the spacious view thence presented of the sea, but she immediately received orders to give exercise to Bijou, and to watch that he ran into no danger, though Selina, who assiduously came forward to meet Mrs. Ireton, without appearing even to perceive Juliet, officiously took young Lauderd in charge, and conducted him, with his aunt, to a large expecting party, long arrived, and now viewing the citadel. End of chapter 57 Recording by Roxana Nazari